Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Keen Clancy and today we welcome onto the show Airman Tyg Weddick, a winchman serving in 302 Squadron in the Irish Air Corps. Tyg is going to talk to us about the roles and responsibilities of being a helicopter crewman in the Irish Air Corps. Welcome on, Tyke. Thanks very much for, for being with us today. No problem. Thank you. Um, and th- I know you're currently on a POTS course, so thanks very much for... No worries, yeah. It's a, it's a different, definite change of pace, I imagine. Definitely, yeah. So I'd usually start the podcast by just kind of getting you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself. So um, how did you come to join the Irish Air Corps? Where are you from? What's your what's your story? Yeah, so yeah, so I grew up in Kamenum in Dublin 8. As a kid, I always had an interest in the Army from a very young age. Um, so once I turned the, the right age to join... I looked into joining and um, I actually joined the reserves first, the Reserve Defence Forces, the 62nd Cavalry Squadron, as it's formerly known as, now the 2 Cav Reserve. So I um, joined up there in 2008. I did about three or four years there, did um, a good few courses there, um, a lot of operations, made some good friends, and um, that just confirmed my decision to join the Defence Forces. So after a few years there, I joined the PDF. Um, and at the time, I did my training in, in the Air Corps in Baldonnell. So it was 20, 2011, joined the Air Corps into the 14th Recruit Platoon. So, yeah, went full-time then. Um, that training was about six or seven months long. That is how I got into the Air Corps, essentially. So can, so talk to us briefly. Like, So you've joined the Air Corps, Tig, and like, you know, you're kind of looking around Baldonnell here and seeing the various things that are being done. And what, what made you make a decision to become a crewman for a, for a helicopter? What, what attracted you to that job? Yeah, so... When I joined, yeah, I seen helicopters everywhere. Obviously, flying around Baldonnell, um, had an interest in it already in, in aviation. So, I did a bit of research on that and um, the roles uh, that, that we're going to talk about, what what helis do, and that just yeah, that I got really interested in that. So, and um, before we passed out, you have a, a preference of what unit you like to join. So, number one was was helis, number three operation squadron. Um, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. So I got number one. Um, Operation Squadron, which is the, all the fixed wing, the planes. So I actually went in there first for a year or so, which is great as well. I was essentially waiting for the the aircrew course to come up, which yeah. came up in about 2014. And um, yeah, so applied for that, got that. So then I went on to the selection course. So to become an aircrew, you have to go through the selection course tests. There's a lot, there's a lot of tests. Um, there's the fitness test, so your standard army fitness test. Um, we throw in pull-ups as well, so there's the pull-up test as well. You have to try to get a maximum number of them in a certain time limit. You have a, an interview as well, which is fairly, uh, it's a very tough one as well. Like, you know, it's, it's a competition at the end of the day. You're competing with people from all over the army. Um, you have your interview, some more kind of fitness stuff. Um, it's also, you have to be a competent swimmer. So that was a big thing. And it is a big thing for a lot of people. To be a crewman, you have to be a very confident swimmer. So you're brought down to the Defence Forces Training School, into the pool there, and you're put through a number of uh, tests in the pool. Okay. Um, a lot of confidence tests and stuff like that. Like, And another one of the tests is... Um, a confidence test is a bridge jump in Blessington. So you have to jump off that bridge twice, which is a pretty pretty big height. Yeah. And it can be pretty uh, nerve-wracking for some people, uh, myself included. Um, you have to do that. Then also there's another test we have, again, just to prove and to show you're confident that you're a confident swimmer, is um, you have to swim under one of the aircraft. So we'll have one of our helis come in um, and it goes into a low hover over the water and you have to swim through that, that hover, um, which is pretty intense. Yeah. The aircraft are approximately like seven tonnes you have that much downwash coming on top of you and you're in the water cold water my, te- my, my test was actually in the middle of February so wow <laughs> very very cold um, but yeah that's, there's a lot of tests there 
I don't think there's a lot of people in, in, in the Defence Forces at large wouldn't realise that there's such water confidence element to selection for crewmen. Yeah, again, you don't have to be Michael Phelps, you know, you yeah. just have to be confident enough to be able to to be able to swim through stuff like that, like, you know. Yeah. So another one was um, a test talk, again, another thing that was kind of nerve-wracking for a lot of people. Uh, one of the tests, you have to give a test talk, you'd be given a subject, it could be, let's just say, helicopter engines, and you have to give that test talk the next day in front of a class which can be, for some people, quite nerve-wracking, you know. Again, so what's happening there is just they're, they're testing your ability to see if you're confident. Um, and that's, that's what they're looking for, you know, they're looking for confident people that they can trust to go on to become crewmen, so, yeah. I have noticed, like, I, just the night before we, we recorded this, I was, I was actually up in, in a heli myself as part of another kind of uh, gig that we were doing with the press office. And I, you do notice the sort of seamless way that the crewmen and the pilots and, and the helis talk to each other and that it's, everybody's very confident and sure of what they're doing. And do you know what I mean? So it doesn't, it, it makes perfect sense that you would do test talk and need, test talks and need to be confident speakers. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yeah, they're trusting you and what you say. So you need to be confident in what you're saying. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of trust there and a lot of, uh, yeah. Well, just confidence is a big thing that we're looking for, like, yeah. Fantastic. And so we might just talk a bit about the kind of roles that a, that a helicopter crewman would would have, and then we might we might kind of go into. So so what you, what you mentioned there previously was like the selection process for the course, the, like what you need to do to actually do the course. So we might talk then about the course itself. So first of all, like what what are the roles of a crewman in a, in a in a, in, a heli, in the air share corps? Yeah. So the roles are there's there's many of them. Again, we could do several podcasts <laughs> on each one, but um, the basic roles. So the first thing that your 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 first role is essentially um. You're the safety of the aircraft in the rear. You're 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 managing the aircraft in the rear. Um, so basically, if the nature of our job, we're landing helicopters. It's not always airport to airport. Um, you could be going to the very tight ed- areas, very hazardous areas, confined spaces. So as a crewman, your bread and butter basically is getting that aircraft in there safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pilots up front, they're obviously very busy flying the aircraft itself. Their field of view can be limited. So if you're going into, if you imagine a turning circle in the mid- middle of a forest, my responsibility is to open up the side door and I'm going to talk, help talk the pilots in onto that onto that target safely. So we could, I could move them in on top of it and then bring them down. So I have, I have a really good range of, uh, or field of view from the, from the side. I can see all the way to the front side and to the rear. I can look under the aircraft and I could see pretty, you know, pretty good and talk them down onto the ground safely. So that's, that's the... The bread and butter of being a crewman is is getting the aircraft into into tight hazardous areas. Um, so that's a very basic one, and that alone is a pretty uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know a very acquired skill. It yeah. takes a lot of training, a lot of uh, hours go into that is to get to get that perfect that like. And at the end of the day, it's very very serious job. Like you know, it's not something you can you know not do a hundred percent. Yeah, of know. course. Yeah, there's such a safety element involved. Like yeah, that's it. So a lot of time goes into that until you're really confident. Um, You'll have instructors there training up the whole time, but even that. So, like, even before all of that, there's a lot of there's, there's things like aviation speak, um, just those things that you're also trying to learn, and um, you're, you're trying to learn your safety equipment, how they work, firefighting. Um, just there's a lot of stuff that goes into it and it takes a lot of time to, to build up to it. That'd be the basic stuff then. Um, so once you get confident with that, with uh, I'll let you go into the advanced roles. Yeah. So the advanced roles will be you start off with troop transport, so moving. Uh, infantry soldiers to to location for army exercises. Um, after that, you could go into fast roping with the uh, army ranger wing, um, ab sailing as well. You have air gunnery, which is a, a more of a deterrent for counter terrorism operations and training. Um, 
you have your NVG then, so NVG night vision goggles training. That again, once you're once you're up to a certain level and you have a, a, a certain amount of flight hours and experience, you'll go on to the night vision training. So we're able to fly at nighttime with night vision goggles on, which is a whole different ball game. Um, and make it, it's a lot more intense, a lot more a lot more uh, dangerous you could say as well, you know. So yeah. obviously operating in the pitch black and going into those those confined hazardous areas. Um, so again, you're starting from scratch there almost again and building up your hours and experience with night vision operations. Um, and that's incredible too. And, and like, uh, like as I was saying, I, I was up, it was last night, so it was my first experience in a heli at night and the equipment that you have for that is incredible in the detail, but also it is absolutely pitch black and you, and you as the crewman have to talk a heli down into a confined space in, yeah. the, in the pitch black. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we were doing training flights if you're up the Wicklow Mountains and if you have no moonlight, no starlight, cloud cover it is as you said pitch black and if you lift up the goggles you'll see nothing you, you barely see your hand in front of your face and then if, using the goggles back down it'll open it up and it's, it looks like daytime through the goggles yeah yeah so it's a great bit of kit and allows us to um to do things a lot more things you know and um, so yeah so some of the other roles um cargo operations as well so we're able to pick up um materials with the aircraft and put them into other material or other other areas and um, so like over the years, we've had some uh, severe flooding. We were, were we uh, been used for a good bit of that, delivering um, fodder to to or to cattle and stuff like that, or moving materials during that. Um, over the, the the bad snows we had as well. What else? Another advanced skill: the firefighting. So we yeah. have um, the Bambi bucket. A lot of people might have seen pictures of that on the uh, on the Defence Forces um, websites. So the Bambi bucket is for fighting fires, for gorse fires, um, which is becoming very. Very common. It's quite common in the summer now at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, it's always a big. It's always on RT or something afterwards. Yeah, yeah. with the with the yeah, whenever we get like a heat wave or whatever, there's always going to be gorse fires. You could see in, in um, Killarney National Parks there recently. Yeah, we had aircraft down there fighting that. So, yeah. So essentially, how that works is um, we'll attach the Bambi bucket to the aircraft. We'll find the nearest water source, and then as a crewman. So again, the crewman's role will be to, to bring the aircraft in over the water, fill up the bucket safely. And then go over to the fire and release the bucket onto the onto the fire. So as a crewman, you actually you actually pull press a button or pull a no no no. So yeah. we're just we're just chatting to the pilot, um, telling him when to release it. So they have the button up front on their control stick. Yeah. And they release it. So but we'll count them down because again we've the better field of view um, from the side door. So we'll literally count down three, two, one, and they'll drop the water away. But it, it, it's it's there is a skill in it as well. So. You know, you've got your gorse fire. You need to have the aircraft at a certain speed to spread the water out, a certain height. You know, if you want it um, to spray out more, yeah. you go up higher. And then you have to take into consideration the wind as well. Like, the, the wind's going to catch some of that water and move it. But you don't want it to blow, to blow the water straight off to, no, to the other exactly, way away yeah. from the so, fire. Yeah. So there's a good bit of skill involved in it. And yeah, each bucket is approximately 300 or 1,300 litres of water. So it's pretty effective. So, okay, so you, you've been, you've passed the selection into the crewman's course. Um, and, and you're, you're actually onto the course and learning how to be a crewman. Wait, how does your career develop from there or, or what kind of run does it take? Yeah, so once you pass, um, you're, you're straight in into, again, learning the aviation speak, um, learning about the aircraft itself, all the spec, all your safety equipment and the roles that you're going to do. So also familiar familiarization with, it, with flying as well. So obviously from the, the sky, everything is quite different looking. So you yeah. get familiar with that. Um, just even the noise, everything like that. So you're going with familiarization flights and orientation flights. Um, after that then, you, this is all airfield stuff. Yeah. So nice 
wide open areas on the airfield. Um, you'll have an instructor with you at all times. And starting off um, is basically getting you to land the aircraft in a nice wide open area. And how we do that is uh, we use a thing called patter, aircraft patter. Essentially, that is, again, just just, just chatter for, or, or talk for me to talk the pilot down on onto a, onto a target. Um, so how that works is, again, opening the side door, um, I'll be looking out and I have my target or LZ, my landing zone that I pick out and I want to get the aircraft there. So an example would be when I open the door, I will tell the pilot that we're clear to the starboard and to the rear. So we're clear to the right and to the rear. There's no obstacles that will affect us or the safety of the aircraft. Yeah. After that, then I will move him on straight onto the target. So it could be forward 60 descending. So that means we're going to move forward and then unit 60 descending. The aircraft is descending as well. Yeah. After that, it be forward 40 descending. And I basically all the way down to zero and it should be on right on the target then. I can correct him then. I can bring him back two, back one, left one, um, stuff like that. So that's all very basic stuff in nice wide open areas. And that all builds up then. So we then go into semi-confined areas. So landing an aircraft beside a building, say, or a hill. Um, and again, that's that's where it gets more technical and a bit tougher. Moving on then into confined areas. So that's, we will practice that a lot and get into a confined area. So again, if you picture, again, picture a forest and a, a turning circle or like a fire break in a forest, maybe. Yeah. To land an aircraft in there. Obviously, the, the blades, the helicopter blades are pretty wide. Um, a lot of moving parts and the aircraft could move around. That's where you, you really come into into or into its own there is um, getting the aircraft in there safely and that's so we use the patter um, to get us in there safely making sure that the helicopter doesn't hit anything yeah. there's no debris flying around that it is safe that we can even fit in there in the first place as well um, so again there's errors and errors of that um, with, with an instructor at all times and once you get familiar and comfortable there um, you'll then be tested on it um, in different areas different locations different kind of landings so as well you could have sloped areas that can be a big one it's you could have to land the aircraft on a sloped hill in a confined spot, um, which could be very, very tough to do, you know. Yeah, it's very technical, I imagine, yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah so once once you get tested on that, um, and if you pass, then then you're a qualified crewman. And that then is even, then that's only the start of the other roles and responsibilities. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very, just the very beginning, you're, you're kind of a basic crewman at that point. Yeah, very basic, yeah. And so where, where kind of does it go from there? Yeah, so if you pass there, if you pass that... Um, then you're on your own. So you're on your own in the rear. So there's no more instructor looking over you anymore. So again, big responsibility. Um, yeah, so I remember one of my first jobs was actually with Tara Mines. So the mines up in, 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 in Tara, we were doing a training exercise um, to bring um, the miners, they have a medical team up there. Yeah, We have a, we have a helipad up there as well um, in, in Tara Mines. So again, getting familiar with us, if anything does ever happen or if any operations we, that was one of my first operations is to go in there and simulate um, a training exercise with the, the tower miners. Yeah, yeah, so that was, you go in there, you can do troop transport with the army, um, so you could have up to 12 soldiers in the back of the aircraft. So again, my responsibility is looking after them. If we have weapons, making sure everything's safe, all the kit is safe. Be like, um, um, to be like us army lads now to be doing something foolish, like not putting <laughs> on our seatbelt or something. So yeah. yeah, you need somebody kind of yeah. confident there. To That's it, so we're just keeping an eye on that, making sure the cabin is secure. After that, then you go into the more advanced roles again: cargo, singing, firefighting, uh, bambi bucket and stuff, um, parachuting as well. So again, all cabin management in the rear, um, and just making sure everything is running smoothly in the back. So, it, but again, that could take that could take the guts of a year to get proficient in that, yeah, and build up your errors and these skills. Um, so there's a lot of lectures in them as well. 
and a lot of tests. Each one you'll get tested on as well. So, so you're building up your your, your errors and your your skill set. Um, one of the tougher ones then is the MVG. Yeah, once you're confident, and proficient in doing this, and during the day, you'll move on to your your MVG goggle training. So essentially, operating at night time under night vision goggles, and that's a completely different ball game. It changes everything. Obviously, you know it's it's pitch black. Everything um, be a lot tougher. Everything we move to everything a lot slower. But um, um, once you've done that, then um, you can do all those disciplines at night time. So cargo singing at night time is 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 is, is pretty tough as well. Like you know. Yeah parachuting at night time and stuff like that operating with the ranger ring at night time so then also <laughs> when you're building up your errors at, we'll do a, a military first responder course um, so basically we'll be trained up in basics of medicine and we can do inter-hospital transfers so we have one aircraft um, um, for inter-hospital transfers so essentially what that is is we can move a patient from one hospital to another so for example one of my, my first inter-hospital transfer I think was Probably it would have been 2015, maybe from um, I think it was a newborn baby in Sligo, in the, in the hospital in Sligo that needed a, a specialty care in Dublin. Yeah. So we flew up with our special special incubator in the back of the aircraft, um, and a doctor and a nurse up to Sligo. We collected the baby and brought the baby back down to Dublin. Um, I suppose a point a point to make here on that is that, is that the, these the aircraft like they're all quite modular, so all these equipment is swapped in and swapped out very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very quickly. And that's the great thing about the aircraft, about the, uh, the Augusta Western 139. I remember one week, um, uh, even less than a week, maybe four days, we were fast roping, firefighting, and did an inter-hospital transfer within the space of a few days. Like yeah, The yeah. same aircraft can just be chopped and changed like that. It's it's pretty brilliant. Like It's, it's really versatile, yeah. 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 So you have the inter-hospital transfer and you're doing that, and then kind of where do you sort of really move then? I know that, that there's further kind of roles you go on to after that. Yeah, so you'll do, there's lots of inter-hospital transfers. Again, the neonatal, so babies, infants and adults, um, bringing up specialist care from from um, the regional hospitals into Dublin. Um, so once you get confident there, again, you're, you're constantly building up your errors as yeah. this goes on. So this could be two or three years, you know, you're building up your flight errors, your experience. Um, you then go on to your emergency medical technicians course. So it became a medic. So I did mine in the CMU in in the army. It's a central medical unit, just for for our for yeah. our people at home. <laughs> yeah. The central medical unit, um, and that was approximately like a, a month of lectures, and then you have a series of uh, tests and and stuff to go through. So that took it took a while, and um, it's pretty tough. And um, there's a good bit in it if you're going from you know zero to EMT. There's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of stuff there to learn. Um, so if you're successful in passing the EMT, then um, you will then be brought on to EAS, so the Emergency Air Medical Service. So you have to be um, a trained EMT as a crewman to go onto that onto that service. Yeah, and that's the, that's so that's the service for actually going to the scenes of accidents and, and that kind of. Yeah, so unlike the inter-hospital one, which is um, again twenty four seven three six five, this one is the emergency one. So the inter-hospital one there's a bit more planning and a bit bit slightly bit more notice, you know. Whereas the EAS one, the Emergency Air Medical Service uh, helicopter. It's uh, another 139 based down in Athlone in Custrian Barracks. That's been operating there since 2012. Yeah. Um, and so the difference with that is, again, it's in the name emergency. So it's it's the, the likes of uh, your, your car crashes and heart attacks and stuff like. So it's just like the road ambulances you see um, going around. It's like that, but it's a helicopter in the sky. Yeah, once you're qualified as a medic, you go down there. You do four-day shifts down there. Um so the way that works is, um, for an example, car crashes, 
if there's a car crash in the country, and the call comes through into the NIOC, which is the National Emergency Operations Centre in Tala. We have our um, air medical desk there, and uh, they will notify the helicopter that there's a call for them. And we'll be launched to that and tasked to that, and we'll go out to that. <clears throat> and like, what's the primary advantage of having a heli to actually to actually do these, um, say, versus, say, a road ambulance? Yeah, so th there's many advantages, but the big one is, 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 is speed. It's obviously a lot quicker. It's cruising speed is approximately 300 kilometres an hour. Wow. Um, and obviously there's no there's no traffic lights, there's yeah. no windy country roads up there, so we can literally go straight to the hospital or straight to the scene. As a crow flies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, if, if an example is if a call comes in um, and it meets the requirements for a helicopter, so we'll only go to very serious calls, very uh, critical calls. Um, if a call comes in and it's, it's a serious critical call, we will be tasked straight away. The way it works is we'll have the helicopter on the square in uh, Custom Barracks. It's primed, ready to go. We have a crew, we have the two pilots, myself and another um, medic, an advanced paramedic from the HSC, National Ambulance Service, with us. And we have two aircraft technicians. So the aircraft technicians, they'll have the aircraft ready, serviced, ready to go, fueled up um, on the square. So a call comes in, we'll be air more airborne within a few minutes. Yeah. So just to break that down a little bit more, so if a call comes in, our phone rings, the, uh, the main pilot, the commander, he will go out and start up the aircraft. The other pilot will start getting the details of where the, the, the call is, let's say, for example, a car crash. He will then get, so he'll get the, um, the location of that and he will start basically checking out where we could potentially land. He'll pick out a number of spots um, that we could potentially land at. While, that, while he's doing that and the other uh, pilot is starting up the aircraft, myself and the advanced paramedic will be looking at the clinical details of the call, trying to get as much as we can. Yeah. Sometimes you might not get much because obviously it just happened. Um, we'll also start doing some follow-up navigation um, and getting ready to go. So within a few minutes, if we accept the call, and we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll be air more airborne within a few minutes, heading straight to that call. Well, and, and from your own role, you're, you're obviously in the role of, a, of the crewman of, of actually being in the back of the heli and talking heli down and that kind of thing, but you also have then a medical role where you're assisting the paramedic. Yeah, so primarily our role is aircraft safety, getting us there. So once we get there safely, that is when my role changes into being a, an EMT. So if we've landed an aircraft at, say, that, that, that car crash, um, I can then assist the advanced paramedic in medical treatment of the patient. Um, so again, we could be first on scene or we could have been requested by an ambulance. So if we get there, yeah, we could have multiple patients as well. I remember once we went to a, an overturned school bus. I think there was about 50 people on the bus. So yeah, it can be yeah. quite busy. So yeah, I can switch from crewman to an EMT and assist in the advanced paramedic in that. Um, so yeah, using my medical skills there, we will get the, get a patient, get them packaged, treat them as best as we can, and get them um, onto the helicopter, and then we can get them uh, bring them straight to hospital. As I said, at a pretty good speed, yeah, um, straight into hospital to receive to receive care, the attention they need. And so you must have been, like you've, you talk about an overturned school bus, but you must like as it was phrased to me that every day for for the AS is is a light it's a life changing event for the person you're picking up. So so again, you must have seen some fairly extreme cases. Yeah, yeah. So again, I've I've done it years now, and yeah, as you said, every 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 call that we go to, it's going to be a serious one. Um. So again, it becomes the norm for us to be going to these things, but the kind of calls we're going to, it's 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 yeah, very serious stuff. It could be somebody's the, the you know the potentially the worst day of their life or very very dark days. Um, so yeah, and you could have that up to three or four times, sometimes five calls a day, and each one could be very, very serious, very critical. So 
definitely, yeah. And how do you find that? Just just yourself, like, how do you find dealing with that? Like, I mean, that must be a very high stress for, for the crew as well. Absolutely, yeah. Like, there's no denying that. It is. It's some, some pretty traumatising things they're going to come across. At the beginning, it was quite an eye-opener. But ultimately, what it comes down to is it's rewarding, you know? So it is, obviously, as I said, it's, it's it could be somebody pretty pretty nasty, nasty calls, um, very, very dark times for them. It could be the, you know, the worst few hours of their life, essentially. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times there's a good outcome. Then the heli provides that good outcome by bringing that speed and advanced level of care we have. So that's why it's worth it. So it is it is tough, but it's rewarding. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the calls um, do have a good, a, a successful outcome. Yeah, and that must, obviously then you feel like you're making a real difference, which you are, like, you know, in such in such a such a critical service. Like. Yeah, and that's it. And that's, that's what helps. That's what's, what's really motivating. Um, I remember only recently... We went to a call, um, it was a young child, um, essentially in cardiac arrest, um, and things didn't look good. Um, we were given her medical care, but it wasn't looking great. The outcome wasn't looking great at all. Um, but I got told a week later that that kid was up high-fiving the nurses in the hospital. So things like that make it worthwhile. So, you know, it's it's pretty rewarding. It's amazing. Yeah. So when we talked about speed, we kind of like as in the primary advantage of the aircraft is speed. Like, so can you kind of give us a, an idea of what we're talking about? I say to treat three hundred miles an hour, but like, is there a time difference? Like, or yeah, yeah. So that's that's the big thing that the aircraft brings to these to these calls is speed. So again, once a call comes in, we could be airborne within a few minutes, and we're straight away doing approximately three hundred kilometers an hour to that call. And as I said earlier, there's no lights, there's no traffic lights, there's no binding. Windy roads on the way, we go straight there. Um, sometimes you might have to navigate weather. Obviously, Ireland, everyone knows the weather isn't isn't the best at all. Yeah, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of rain and stuff like that. Like so, but the aircraft that we have is uh, it's a great bit of kit. We can actually fly with zero visibility, and we can fly. It's called the IFR instrument flight rules. So we can actually fly into cloud, doing the same speed, but using the aircraft again to safely bring us to a call or to a hospital, um, which is a great bit of kit. So. Again, the thing is, if you live in the in the city and you call an ambulance, you're going to be in a hospital within a few minutes. But where the heli really comes into its own is for the countryside. So I'm talking, you know, Connacht, um, way out west, and yeah. all of um, Mayo down to Galway, Clare, all these areas. Um, so, for example, a lot of our calls are heart attacks. Um, obviously, if somebody's having a heart attack, they need to be in, brought into a hospital straight away as quick as they can. Every second that goes past is essentially the, the heart muscle is, is deteriorating. So where the heli comes in there is we'll go there, we could pick up a patient, say, for example, out in Clifton, way out west. Um, the nearest PCI lab there, the, the lab that needs to treat these, these heart attacks is in Galway. So by road, that's a long spin, um, whereas the heli, obviously using the speed, um, can go straight from Clifton into Galway within a matter of minutes. And that's where it really changes things, you know. Makes a big difference. Yeah. And so, like, like as regards kind of other kind of calls that you might have seen while, while, you're, while you've been on duty on the ES, you have so much experience with it. Yeah, it's so many. So, again, a lot of our calls, as I said, are heart attacks. You could have strokes as well. Again, they need to be brought straight into hospital very quickly. Um, a lot of trauma as well. So, again, car crashes, farming accidents, um, stuff like that, like, you know. Um, the other great thing about it is, is... For example, um, burns, we've gone through a good few calls where people are burns. We can bring them straight to the specialist care. So we could actually bypass potentially um, a hospital and go straight to a burns unit or plastics yeah. where they're going to end up to, which is pretty great. Yeah. And so 
I suppose so. You've you become a, a, a an EMT and you've you've worked with EAS. Where then do you go with regard to your kind of skill set as a crewman? Yeah. So after after that, um, you can also go on to become a winchman, which is um, a very specialist skill. Um, so yeah, you you just like with the GP course or the crewman's course. Again, you're starting from scratch for for the winchman's course. So at this stage, you'll need to have a lot of hours. Um, and a lot of experience to start this. Um, so winching essentially is being able to winch from the aircraft down onto the ground via cable. Um, the idea of it is, to, like an EAS, where we'll normally land at the side of a road or a, a, a back garden or in the countryside and stuff like that, the, 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 where the winch capability comes in is if you can't land the aircraft down there, let's say a mountain or a cliff, yeah. the winchman can come down and get a patient. So, yeah, the winchman's course, very tough, um, very, very tough physically and mentally. There's a lot going on, huge responsibility. Um, so, yeah, again, starting off just like with the helicopter, you crawl, walk, run. So you start off lifting a patient um, or just putting yourself down onto, a, onto an area, then lifting a patient, then maybe using a stretcher and bringing in more things. Yeah. And then, again, once you get comfortable with that, you could bring in the, the NVG, the night vision goggles. So all of those skills then at night time, again, completely different ball game. Very, very tough, uh, very demanding. Um, so, yeah. So winching at night must be like partly terrifying as well, I would think. Yeah, it's one of those things, <laughs> partly terrifying, but really rewarding, really exciting, uh, really enjoyable stuff. Like yeah, And a really amazing technical skill, like, you know. It's yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty uh, specialist skill, all right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great though, I love it, like it's, yeah. Well, thanks very much for that, Tyg. There was a real fascinating insight there into the role of a, of a helicopter crewman, and I think I think uh, aspects of it that an awful lot of people out there won't have won't have heard of before. So, listen, thanks very much for coming on. It was really excellent talking to you. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks very much. It's good, it's good to, to highlight and show, um, yeah, how much work goes into it all, like from the pilots, the rear crew, the ambulance service, the NIOC, the technicians, um, to 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 just show the amount of work that goes into those things. Yeah, wonderful. It's a, it's a real team effort. Definitely. Yeah. Um, for further information on the Irish Defence Forces, check out our social media channels and military.ie. Serving members are also encouraged to check out the members area of military.ie. The Irish Defence Forces podcast is available on Spotify, Acasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Corporal Keith Harrison of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. The Irish Defence Forces podcast will be back soon with further episodes. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.